So like I said, my name is Brandon. Um, I came here to Jefferson when I was in college. I graduated in 2019. Um, and while I was here, I was the intern for one year. And I just love this place. And I'm so glad that Chase will give me this opportunity. And that Chase is here. He's doing an amazing job from what I've heard from a lot of y'all. And so we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's go ahead and read it. We're going to read verses 3 to 5. 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would just move in this room tonight. Um, we believe that your word has power and your spirit has power um, to breathe life into dead situations. And so I pray for those that are believers in this room, that they would be encouraged and challenged by what you have to say in this passage. And I pray for those who might not call themselves Christians, God, that you would bring new life to them tonight. Um, so just guide us as we go through this passage. Speak to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so let's dive in. So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to stop right there. So this word for blessed is actually used only seven times in the New Testament, and every time it's used, it's only used in reference to God the Father. And so the point that he's making at the beginning of this passage, especially to the people that he's writing to, is that only God is worthy of our worship and praise and honor. And so he's about to go and dive into at least three reasons why God is the only person worthy of this praise. But just keep that in mind as we go that this is supposed to encourage us to hold on to hope and to pursue God and praise him and be obedient to him. So reason number one to praise God is God labors with extravagant love on our behalf. So it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. So this word, great mercy, don't just think like a little warm, fuzzy feeling in your heart. This is intense compassion that always, especially for God, it always, always moves to action. So it's never just this complacent like, oh, I feel pity on them, but I'm just going to sit back and not do anything. He's always moving towards us. And so the best way to think about this word is this word is actually used to translate the word has said in the Old Testament, which means our word for steadfast love, loyal love. Uh, loving kindness. And so the main book that talks about this said is the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. And so if you know anything about Ruth, the book of Ruth starts and Ruth is a Moabite, which means that she's a foreigner and she's married to an Israelite man. And within like the first five verses, Ruth's husband dies, his brother dies, and his father dies. And so Ruth is left just with Orpah, her sister-in-law, and Naomi, her mother-in-law. And Naomi is in a pretty rough condition because she's just lost her husband and her two sons. So in this time period, that's not looking great for her because this is, these are the people that take care of her. These are the people that pass 
her family name down. And so in this situation, it's a pretty hopeless situation. And so she turns to Ruth and Orpah and says, go back home. Like, I don't have anything to give you. Just go back home. Start your life over. Like, I'm sorry that this has happened to us. And Orpah goes back and turns back around. But it says in Ruth chapter 1 that Ruth had this has said this loving kindness. And she said, no, we're family now. And I don't care to go back to those old things. Like, this is my family now. And so a character later in Ruth, Boaz, is talking about Ruth's decision here. And he says in Ruth 2.11, but Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. So the, this is the extravagant love of Ruth. And we use the word extravagant because it means lacking restraint and using resources. So she is doing whatever she has to to stay in this loyal love and in this bond that she has with Naomi. Um, but clearly, Ruth is not the ultimate example of Hesed in the Bible. So the overarching story of the Bible is that God has created us for communion with him in a perfect relationship with him. And yet we have turned away and rebelled against him. And the good news is that he did not leave us in, his, in our brokenness, but he himself has come to us in the person of Jesus. And Jesus lived the life we couldn't live, died the death that we deserve to die for our sins, and raised the life from the dead. And so now when we think about this extravagant love, like God does not withhold his resources to come after you. That is the main point of this extravagant mercy that he has. And this is why he causes us to be born again. And so Paul puts it this way in Romans 8, 31 and 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And so what he's saying in Romans 8 is, God saw us in our brokenness, and he had mercy and compassion, and he looked in heaven and said, what am I going to do about this? And there was nothing that he could give better than himself. And so he himself came down. He himself took on brokenness so that we could be made whole. He himself took on wounds so that we could be healed. And ultimately, he himself took on death so that we can be born again. And so that's the second reason why this passage tells us to praise God, because God has given us a new life. So it said, God, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. So notice this, he has caused us. This is not something that we're mustering up on our own. He is causing to do this. We're passive in this. He is active, causing us to be born again. And so what does this mean to be born again? It means a lot of different things. But it means that we have a whole transformed life. He's not coming to modify your life or renovate your life. He's coming to give you new life which means now you have a new family with him as your heavenly father and brothers and sisters in Christ that are encouraging you. And you have a new identity. You're not identified by your sins. God has identified you and you're a beloved child. You have new passions. You don't love sin anymore. You actually hate sin and you love righteousness. You have new, a new mindset, new thoughts, new actions, new values that are completely different from when God did this work in your life. And so this passage says that we are born again into at least two things. So it says, according to his great mercy, God has caused us to be born again to 
a living to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So what is this living hope? It's a joyful and confident expectation of salvation that is to come. And so I think we need to understand the audience of who he's writing to. So he's writing to people that are undergoing persecution right now. And so when we think of this hope, it's not just some like, oh, let me cross my fingers and hope that it happens. Like This is like in your gut hope for an inheritance that is coming. And so notice that it says, through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. So our hope is not just in some basis thing. It's rooted in reality that Jesus has risen from the grave. And now we can trust that God is going to turn all the hopeless situations in our life to hopeful situations. Maybe it doesn't happen here where we are right now, but it will happen in the time to come. And so let's just think about, I think when we hear this word persecution, we just don't understand like the grip of it, which I think is really sad because the New Testament is written mostly to people that are being persecuted. And so just to kind of get your mindset in that, um, I'm just going to share a story. So I met a guy from Iran um, this summer at the BCM, and he said he was interested in starting to talk about God. And so I started meeting up with him, and we went and got coffee, and we sat down, and he just started talking. He was like, yeah, so I'm pretty interested in following Jesus, um, but if I follow Jesus, I can't go back home, and if I go back home, then I'll most likely be killed, which means I'll probably, if I follow Jesus, I'll never see my family again, never see my friends again, and essentially, he looked at me and was like, is it worth it? Like, is Jesus worth that? And for me, living in America, that's an extreme thought, because that is what Christ calls us to. He calls us to die to self. He calls us to pick up our cross. And for a lot of us, I don't think we understand that reality of what it means. But I want to use that story to tell you, like, do you believe that your future reward is worth losing everything for? I'm not talking about a little bit of comfort. I'm talking about everything. Like, maybe it costs you your career. Maybe it costs you your life. But God is calling you to lose everything for him. And this is the hope that he's giving you in this situation. And so what are we hoping in? It says, born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. So we're given a new hope from this new life, and we are given a new home. And the reason I use the word home here is because this is how Peter talks about our inheritance throughout the book of Peter. So... 1 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, if you just want to write these down real quick, says, to those who are elect exiles, 1 Peter 1.17, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. 1 Peter 2.11, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So do you hear what he's saying? He's saying we're exiles on this, like this is not our home. This is not what we're living for. We're living for something that is to come, and it's coming soon, and it is imperishable, which means it's not going to rot or decay. It's undefiled, which means there's no hint or stain of sin, and it's unfading, which means it's eternal, and it's never going to lose all. And so let me put, I don't think it's coming up on the screen maybe, but Revelation 21, 1 through 5, it talks about this new creation that we're hoping for. So just imagine this in your mind as I read it. 
Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So can you imagine that? Like, our world is full of tears, it's full of death, it's full of mourning and crying and pain. Like, our world has wars in it. We have diseases, we have people dying from starvation, we have anxiety, we have depression. Like, these things affect us all day. But God's saying that our inheritance, there is no pain, there's no tears, there's no anxiety, no depression, no wars. Like, people are not attacking each other, trying to tear people down. Like, people actually genuinely will love each other in that place. Like, that's what we're headed for. And God is saying, hope in that. Put all your hope in that. Don't put your hope in these temporary things that are not going to last. Hope in that. And so, now when you face trials and temptations in this life, you don't give in to your trials and temptations. You don't give in to pursuing more money or the best job or a new car or pornography. You don't run towards those things because those things don't satisfy you and those things will fade. But God is saying we have an inheritance that doesn't fade. So live for eternal things and not these temporary things that we so badly want. And so not only is this inheritance better than what we have over here, but it's also guaranteed. So reason number three is God has secured our inheritance and salvation. So it says, To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So this idea behind the word kept here is that it has already happened in the past and it's having results now. So God is telling you, like, I have your spot reserved there. Like, I have caused you to be born again. You're in my family, and I'm holding that spot for you as you go throughout this world. So while you're, you may be discouraged with the sin that you're struggling with, you may be discouraged with the hard times you're going with, God is saying, I have a spot for you and I'm going to bring you there. So he's not just keeping our inheritance, he's guarding us as well. So kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And so what he's saying here is, He's keeping this spot in heaven, but he's also guarding us as we go through our trials and our temptations. He's empowering our faith. So, like he said, he caused us to be born again. God doesn't just cause us and then leave us on our own. He causes us to be born again, and then he sustains us throughout this life so that we will get this inheritance that is guaranteed for us. And so just two things that I just want you to know from this passage. Put all of your hope in our future inheritance, fully convinced that this inheritance is worth losing everything for. And so don't turn to that sin that you struggle with or the American dream that is constantly being forced down your throat in college. Like God has better plans for you and he has an inheritance that is undefiled, imperishable, and unfading. 
and also joyfully obey Christ amid the trials and temptations in this world, knowing that there are people around this world that need to hear this message of hope. And so just one story before I close this. So I've been going over this passage a lot recently and this week, obviously, um, and just trying to get God like, hey, like, let me experience this passage. Like, I want to know this passage more. And so today he did that in a very unexpected way. And so I started working at the port ministry in New Orleans, which is where all the cruise ships and cargo ships come into the port. And they'll like unload their stuff, load it back, and then head out. And so what the port ministry does is we go out on the boats and we share the gospel with the people that are there. Some of them are only there for like 24 hours. Some of them are there for three days. And so we can bring them back to the center, like bring them grocery shopping and stuff. And almost every person on, this, on these boats is an international. And so we went on the boat today and we met a guy from India. And we were just talking with him asking about his family, and he told us that he was Hindu. And so I was just asking questions because I don't know much about Hinduism. And so I was just asking him about his faith. And my friend Stephen asked, um, so what do you believe happens when you die, like when you pass away? Um, what do you all do? And he went into this long story about how when somebody who's Hindu dies, they oil up the body and they put sticks around the body and lay them on a funeral pyre and light them ablaze and take their ashes and throw them into the river because it's supposed to be helpful in reincarnation. And so I've heard about this before because I, David Platt wrote about this in one of his books um, called Something Needs to Change. And the way he worded it is he said that he felt like he was looking at a physical picture of a spiritual reality for that person. Because this person did not trust in Christ, they, do not, they were not born again, and they do not have a living hope, and they have a dead hope. They're not going to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. They're going to a place that is ever-perishable, that's full of defilement, and ever-fading. And that should stir in our hearts a desire to spread this message of hope. Like, we have gotten this message of hope not because of anything in us. God has caused us to be born again, and we have this hope that we need to spread to people that are putting their hope in things that are dead. And so, let's just go throughout the rest of this week confident that we have an inheritance that we are not going to lose, and we strive after holiness, and we share this message of hope with the people around us. Um, the band can come up, and I'm going to close us in prayer. God, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for all the things that you say that you did in this passage, God, that you have caused us to be born again to a living hope, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. I pray that we would know these truths, that we would be gripped by them, that we would be confident and joyful and have hope in our future inheritance, that we would see the glory of this future inheritance, because we will be dwelling with you in your presence, fully satisfied, full of joy and peace. And so God, I pray that you use that inheritance to guide our obedience now that we would put all of our hope in that so that we can live through our trials and temptations here. And while these students are at college, 
to live for your glory and to spread this message of hope to people that are living lives that are hopeless, God. God, just stir in our hearts to bless you and praise you and to walk obediently with you. In Jesus' name I pray.